Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys Podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson, and it's just me tonight. My usual co-host, Ben Gulker, is under the weather unexpectedly. Feel better, Ben. Um, so I, I really, I know how much Ben really enjoys doing the podcast, and so I, this this is unfortunate for him, but I'm sure Ben will be on here next week giving you guys uh, everything he always gives Um moving forward so it's just me tonight i am a little bit rusty at doing this solo so i hope you guys forgive me i got chance uh napping in the other room and the baby monitor like far away enough i think that i won't have to do uh, too many uh crazy audio things in order to make things work if uh, this goes haywire but yeah we uh oh it's daylight savings time so like you know stuff's a little bit different so yeah this uh this podcast might be a quick one. I'm just letting you know up front. Um, but I wanted to start with the fact that this is probably the most encouraging 0-4 week of Pistons basketball that I can remember. Um, and a lot of that has to do with Cade Cunningham. I think Cade Cunningham is going to lead a lot of these podcasts moving forward. And uh, that's not entirely unexpected. But the... The aspect of Cade's game that I wanted to start with was the respect he got from perhaps the greatest player in the NBA right now in Kevin Durant after their matchup. Uh, Kevin Durant, after the game, said, quote, I love Cade's game. I think he's going to be a tough, tough cover for a long, long time. End quote. Now, I didn't say tough, tough. Kevin Durant said tough, tough. It was like my, my heart was, was fluttering when I saw that quote scroll across my timeline. And it's understandable why Kevin Durant would say that because Kay Cunningham is literally getting better game after game. Um, you, you can see the, the impact he's having on the other guys on the floor. You can see the impact he's having on the decision-making that's happening uh, for the Pistons. He's pushing the pace in a way that I have uh, been longing for for a long time and Dwayne Casey like openly talked about how they need to put the ball in his hands more after only his like second or third NBA game the issue with that from uh, from a there's no issue with that right but so Dwayne Casey is currently running a motion offense a lot of dribble handoffs um, a lot of like, slow developing actions uh, coming from inside the arc. And that, like, we've seen Cade have, like, some level of success with that. But clearly, Cade is more comfortable in a traditional pick-and-roll offense uh, with, you know, less dribble handoffs and more, like, solid screen setting and uh, just one uh, a single primary ball handler instead of, a you know, a lot of more decision-making happening. And so... The the question then becomes if Cade is going to be good enough, fast enough to make Dwayne Casey kind of change the offense to revolve more around him. And I think the answer is yes. We've already started seeing some of this, right? We've already started seeing more you know, on-ball schemes for, for Cade Cunningham. We started seeing um, more, more double drag, which is um, something I think, you know, makes really great use of both Cade and Jeremy Grant's talents. We've seen we've seen them bust out like the Spain pick and roll occasionally. Well there's like a little 
excuse me, a little screen the screener action uh, to get Jeremy Grant open looks. I think we'll see more of those, but you know, Kate is a young dude. He's a rookie, but he's already like very comfortable on an NBA court. But at the same time, you want him doing the things he is most comfortable at. And so I do think that means that the Pistons will wait, uh, like add weight, not like W A I T, uh, more pick and roll, uh, offense versus like the, the motion stuff they've been working. I think they will, uh, you'll, you'll see that, um, that tendency slide more towards the pick and roll. Like what, what impacts that has kind of remains to be seen. I think that'll be good for Cade. I think it might be good for Jeremy. Jeremy is a tad bit overstretched right now. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, I think it will, I think we'll have great, uh, it will have similar effects for Killian, like lesser effects because Killian is not as good as Cade. And like, I've, I've said that all along. Don't be surprised by me saying that. Um, but like Killian is also more comfortable in a traditional pick and roll offense. And so I think that you, you know, he will also, you see, you also see his game improve with, uh, as he gets, you know, into a rhythm with a more like with offense, he's more uh, familiar with. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. The offense is, of course, like been a source of constant frustration for Pistons fans this season. It is not surprising that the uh, offense would look better, like with Cade and both with Cade, like in the lineup and like with Cade doing the things that he's good at. Um, the problem kind of remains that uh, if you want to get like the most out of uh, Sadiq Bay. And you kind of want to get like the most out of a guy like Josh Jackson. You, you want to run a more egalitarian offense and, uh, and like the motion kind of accomplishes that. And with the, as far as like the pick and roll offense orientated, as far as the orientation towards pick and roll offense goes, like you also see like Cade is still careless enough with the ball that you don't want to just like throw him the keys and say like, you know, you're the guy initiating all of the offense because like he, he still turns the ball over pretty sloppily and does so in a manner that like just I know frustrates any coach and also is like, hey, you have you're gonna have Killian Hayes out there most nights. It's like you, you're gonna have multiple guys who can initiate pick and roll offense. And the whole point of the motion offense is that you can like in anyone can initiate a DHO, right? And uh you initiate some reads off of that. But it's like, yeah, if uh, if Cade is going to turn the ball over like that, it's probably best not to like make him the primary ball handler like a hundred, a hundred and ten percent of the time, right? Um, but yeah, like Cade's really good. Uh, he he finally got the three pointer to to go. You could see him in the Brooklyn game start to learn that uh, NBA athletes. Like still have to respect his length and ability to like put a shoulder into a guy and create his own shot moving to the rim. Um, Brooklyn is a really good example for this because uh, without without Nick Claxton like really playing major minutes, they lack a real like mobile rim protector. Like that was Lamarcus Aldridge once upon a time. It is it is no longer Lamarcus Aldridge. Um, but yeah, like I think it's still good to see like KB able to get all the way to the basket and uh, and convert. I mean, like we saw you saw the um, the highlight against the Sixers at home, right? Like Cade hitting Matisse Thybul, one of the better 
uh, on-ball defenders in the NBA with like a nice little in and out and finishing at the rim with like Joel Embiid in the vicinity. He's like he's you go if he can do that to Tybal, he's going to be able to do that to a lot of different people. And so like it's it's just great. Like Cade Cade is Cade's really good and it's been so long since the Pistons had uh, a guy like with that uh, level of like fearlessness and talent and um and confidence and uh like gravity right i mean like you even like you can see the other rookies or the other second year players excuse me they are no longer rookies they're second year players the other second year players are still kind of getting used to Cade, but you can see that they are like clearly like deferring and gravitating towards him um in a way that makes you think like yeah that like he's he's got like it i don't know what it is but whatever it is he's got it um, yeah, Cade's great. Uh, I want to move off of Cade and turn to uh, Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant uh, went 0 of 9 against the Brooklyn Nets. He's been very inconsistent to start the year. His point totals in the last six games, he's scored 14 points, 22 points, 11 points, 21 points, 27 points, and 5 points. And so, like, yeah, three 20-point games and you know, one single digit point game and, you know, the average of like somewhere like you know, 12 points, we'll call it. Um, <laughs> I tried to add up 14, 11 and five in my head and divided by three really quickly. And that didn't go so well. Don't do that at home, kids. Um, so what can the Pistons do to get more consistency out of Jeremy Grant? Um, and it would help if Jeremy was hitting his open shots. And I think that that will eventually happen. He's too talented a player to not uh, hit some of these open looks. Um, I talked about this a little bit with uh, Bryce Simon on the Motor City Hoops podcast last week, but I would like to see them run Jeremy off some more like pin downs. I would like to see um, the offense be constructed in a way that uh, like Jeremy Grant already has an advantage when he catches the ball as opposed to he catches the ball and has to create his own advantage, whether that's in an isolation situation, whether that's in like a, a pick and roll situation, even coming off like a DHO, right? I think um, he's got, it's easier to get him like with the ball skills he has, it's still like easier to get him the ball on the move um, towards the basket as opposed to him, like just kind of dribbling and, and initiating from there. I think once we see that, we will see like a, a better version of Jeremy Grant. I've been, really encouraged by again his like shot profile he's taking the vast vast majorities of his threes are catch and shoot threes and so he's still not like still not dribbling seven times and like shooting a, a 28 footer i think like he knows that's not that's probably not going to be a part of his game and that's good but he is he is dribbling like five times and shooting like 20 footers and that is not as like that's not efficient nba basketball in the year of our lord 2021 and so, like, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, I think as the the slider kind of tilts more towards like Cade is in control of the offense, and as the slider tilts more towards Cade being in control of the offense, they run more of a pick and roll offense. I think that will be good for Jeremy. Um, I think that'll mean more more catch and shoot looks for Jeremy, um, more chances for Jeremy to do like baseline cut stuffs and uh, get hit with passes from Cade from Killian. Uh, even from a guy like Sadiq, who's uh, been a better playmaker than I think I've given him credit for on this podcast. Um, but I think that getting out of the 
getting out of the offense that they've been running will be will like lend itself more towards like the the good habits that Jeremy Grant has on offense, and hopefully that will lead to uh, more consistency out of him offensively. But like ultimately, the answer is like he's just got to make more shots, right? If he he had a he had a handful of like really good looks against Brooklyn. I went back and watched the uh, the first half of the game. He had he had some really good looks that just didn't fall. Like that happens. So the other big thing that really needs to be talked about in the context of Cade Cunningham's ripple effects on the offense and how that's impacting other guys in the starting lineup in particular is Sadiq Bay. Before and including Cade's first game, here are Sadiq Bay's field goal attempts. Uh, 15, 16, 16, 14, and 17. After Cade's first game... uh, that's the Orlando game Um, including the Brooklyn game in which Cade Cunningham didn't play here are Sadiq Bey's field goal attempts 8, 13, 9, 13 and so clearly even the the idea that Cade is going to be in the lineup and the, the sets that they're running are going to be different has impacted Sadiq's aggressiveness he is still I think more than anyone on the in the starting lineup, kind of finding his way um, to play with Cade Cunningham. He he talked about this openly uh, after the Brooklyn game. He said, "Quote: First couple of games back, uh, he uh, Cade is trying to figure things out. It's different. We're trying to build our chemistry, but he's done a great job of fitting in and establishing himself." End quote. And so the, the thing I'm less I'm less worried about Cade fitting in and establishing himself. I figure that's going to happen regardless. It's what what do we get out of Sadiq, right? Like what 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 kind of player does Sadiq Bay become when he's next to Cade Cunningham? I think we were all uh, very enamored with the type of player Sadiq Bay had been. You know, back when he was shooting 15, 16 times a game. We were all uh, really enjoying the isolation possessions, the newfound uh, ability to get to the free throw line, the ability to um, create his own shot in the mid range. Wasn't loving the isolations, but still, like that was something I was, you know, willing to to take as part and parcel of a of an expanded like game from Sadiq Bay. You know, since Kate has come back, Sadiq has looked way more tentative, right? Uh, just afraid to shoot at times. There was a possession in. Um, I think it was the Philly game where um you know he passed up he had a he had an open he received a pass had an open three um defender you know attacking on the closeout uh, flies by takes one dribble sidesteps and like normally that's another that's another open look at a three he doesn't take that look either and he drives to the basket into the help and then just like the possession just kind of like dies from there and like that Sadiq Bey is the it's like we want Sadiq Bey to create his own offense. We don't want Sadiq Bey to pass up two good looks at uh, a shot in which like at, at a three a shot in which like we think he has like a fairly good chance of hitting. And so like that that relationship that um that uh, that connection is going to have to be strengthened and est- established and strengthened. Um, and that's something I think that you should as you watch these Pistons games, like you should pay special attention to like how, how does Sadiq look um, with Cade on the floor? You know, presumably those two guys should fit really well together, but we don't, 
want Sadiq to like sublimate himself so much in the offense to like let Cade do his thing that we're like we're losing out on some of this like newfound offensive prowess. Like on the other hand, like if Sadiq is like you know only going to shoot nine, ten times a game, like he needs to be shooting much better from three point land than than he's been at the start of the season. And so like you know that's. So right, right now we're getting the the worst of both worlds from Sadiq, and that that can't continue. Um, it's only been a week; it's only been four games. Um, these these guys will figure out how to play together, but that is something like worth worth paying attention to and worth noticing, like as we move forward throughout these games. Um, yeah, the that play though where Sadiq uh, out hustled James Harden to. A, a ball that was going to be a turnover into a dunk, and James Hart just kind of like let it happen. That was one of the the funniest things I've ever seen on a basketball court. My goodness, James Harden, what can you say? Anyway, uh, next guy I wanted to talk about was Killian Hayes. I don't really have a lot. Um, you guys, it's it's harder to talk about Killian Solo because like a, a lot of you guys know where I stand with Killian. He's shooting. 38% from three, which I think leads the team, um, if I'm not mistaken. But, like, you know, with with the rest of the team mired in, like, a huge three-point shooting slump, like, that's got to be, like, top three on the team. Um, he's looking more aggressive and comfortable alongside Cade Cunningham, which I think a lot of people assumed, like, oh, these guys are both, quote-unquote, point guards. They won't be able to play together. You have to bring one off the bench. Or you have to, um, you know, stagger them a lot more heavily. Um, like, no, that's, that's turned out to not be the case. Killian's comfortable playing off the ball. He's uh, repped out the catch-and-shoot threes to a point where, like, that's probably a better shot for him than an off-the-dribble three. And so, like, yeah, you can yeah you can definitely play off the ball next to Cade. Like, that's not even, that's not really a problem. Um, yeah, he's, he's looked more confident and aggressive um, just going to the rim in general. He's looked much more um, involved in the offense, when he knows he like doesn't have to be the the main like primary ball handler for this team, even like when he was running like the motion offense and stuff, and still I'm sure it's still, like a mentality thing. But yeah, like Killian Killian has looked, uh, he has looked improved in a way that you could ask for after you know nine games of this regular season, and in a way that like continues to build upon some of the stuff we saw at the end of last season and so like these are reasonable improvements for a guy who has yet to play you know half a full season of nba basketball to make these are these are the things you wanted to see these are things you you want to see like moving forward for killian hayes that he will be an effective nba player like killian hayes doesn't suck and like i i was you know really sure he wasn't gonna suck but um yeah, you know, that w- that was a whole thing. People thought Killian sucked. Um, yeah, he's 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 gonna be fine. I'm just glad uh, other people can start to see that too. The uh, starting lineup, starting lineup is uh, is interesting. Um, I think so. Dwayne Casey has taken great pains to maintain the integrity of that uh, five man bench lineup. Um, but we are starting to see that kind of uh, go away as the starting lineup continues to struggle on 
offense. Um, and I don't, I don't want to blame Isaiah Stewart. We're going to talk about Isaiah Stewart in a second, but like the, the way the ball moves and the way that the, the floor opens up when Kelly Olenek is on the floor with the rest of the starters is palpable, right? I think part of that is uh, a function of like Olenek himself is a, like, you know, he's obviously like a much bigger threat as a shooter than, than Isaiah Stewart. He's a much, uh, He's a much more established threat as a driver. Although we did we did see Isaiah cross over or cross over Joel Embiid and get to the rim and dunk right. Like Isaiah's got that. Uh, we need to see it more often, but he's got that. But um, yeah. Uh, but I think the other thing that makes the starting lineup in particular flow a little bit better with Kelly Olynyk is the motion offense. Again, the motion offense. Um. It it asks that the bigs on the team, the center and the power forward on the team, be able to make a lot of reads, make a lot of decisions for the other wing players on the floor and like dribble into dribble handoffs, get guys open looks, you know, cut into open space, flare out to, to open space, like make shots, knock down shots. And just Kelly Olenek is much better at doing all that stuff right now than Isaiah Stewart is because he's been in the NBA longer and has a skill set more suited to it, right? So right now, the offense is... Uh, set up to take more advantage of uh, Kelly Olynyk's strengths than it is Isaiah Stewart, and so it shouldn't be like a huge surprise that the offense like runs better when Olynyk is in the game. The question kinda is like, that's the motion offense. We talked a little bit earlier about Cade Cunningham and the mo- the turn towards a more pick and roll oriented offense. It's like, will will that stay the same? Will Isaiah Stewart like still be? Uh, will 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 the turn to a pick and roll offense be better for Isaiah Stewart than it is for Kelly Olynyk? And I think Isaiah Stewart will definitely be more comfortable in a pick and roll offense where he doesn't have to make as many reads, doesn't have to make as many decisions. But I think Olynyk will remain uh, a better offensive player overall than Isaiah Stewart. But that's no great shame, and I think Stewart will be more comfortable in a role that asks him to uh, like just kind of roll to the rim or pop and not have to worry so much about like dribble handoffs, making reads, um, putting the ball on the floor, doing any of that stuff. And so, yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious to see if and like Cade and Isaiah are developing a pick and roll relationship. We've seen Cade try to like feed Isaiah on the roll. These like bounce passes that aren't quite there. And, you know, those guys are still building the chemistry um, we've seen, we've seen like Killian hit, uh, although like, you know, Isaiah Stewart is not known as like a leaper. We've seen Killian Hayes, like hit him on lobs and stuff. And I'm sure, uh, Isaiah Stewart will, will soon be getting lobs from Kate Cunningham as well. But, um, but yeah, like Olenek is just, uh, Kelly Olenek opens up the floor for the starting lineup in a way that Isaiah Stewart like just doesn't right now. Um, we want... Isaiah Stewart to do that in time. You want him to open up the floor more like that in time. It's just, it's going to take time. Um, and like, that's just the offense though, right? Like the defense has been um, much better than the offense. It's still not like great by NBA standards, but Isaiah Stewart has been very solid on defense. And like, I don't want to just like keep, you know, hitting the hammer on the nail that is the offense without like mentioning Isaiah Stewart's defense um, Stewart's averaging, you know, two stocks a game. He's holding opponents to 52% shooting at the rim. Like, 
Isaiah Stewart's not playing poorly, right? He's doing his job on both ends of the floor. It's just the more of what the Pistons require um, to be like a, a better NBA team is on offense, and like that is not um, that he his skill set right now is not like lending itself to helping that, and that's just like a bigger problem than than the defense right now. Um, I think it would help if Stewart shot just like a little bit more. We saw him shoot more in the Brooklyn game, um, but he shoot. But like overall on the year, he's shooting. He has roughly like he's averaging roughly like the same number of field goal attempts, and he's playing like three or four more minutes a night. And so it's like, yeah, okay, like he's not going to shoot. I think he's averaging like seven shots a game. It's like in 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 uh, like twenty five minutes a game. It's like yeah, he's not going to shoot like fourteen times a game in twenty five minutes a night. Like that's not going to happen. But you would like to see him shoot like, you know, nine nine times a game instead of the you know seven he was shooting last year. And so like, as Isaiah Stewart gets more comfortable, um, as he gets like more. As I think as he gets the freedom to take shots he's more comfortable with. We saw him bust out the elbow jumper. We've seen him take like some some pick and pop threes over the last couple of games. Like even even those shots, even when they don't go in, it just makes the defense account for the fact that Isaiah Stewart might do something on offense when he's got the ball on the perimeter besides like work his way into a dribble handoff. And so like that 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 alone like forcing defensive attention in a way that he doesn't always currently do will just like work wonders for him offensively and will do more to close the gap between him and Kelly Olenek offensively. But yeah, Isaiah Stewart's got to be, um, he's got to be a little bit better offensively. And until that happens, we will continue to see these mixed lineups with, you know, Kelly Olenek with the starters. We'll see these mixed lineups with like, you know, Frank Jackson in the starters or like the, uh, the bench, Plus Sadiq Bay, which has been like an interesting like lineup like wrinkle, and I think one that's um, designed to give Sadiq Bay like a little bit more of those isolation possessions. But w- with the motion offense gets flowing to the point where like he just feels more comfortable like taking uh, open shots. It's like that, so that's like an interesting like uh, relationship or dichotomy like between the two lineups. But yeah, like uh, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to it's gonna be interesting to keep an eye on how Isaiah Stewart's offensive aggressiveness helps the starting lineup um, you know score more okay we are at 26 minutes and we're, we're at, you know at the uh, running out of stuff so the only other things I had were oh uh, Hamadou Diallo just kind of out of the lineup entirely that's uh, that's a yikes Rodney Magruder was playing over him in the Brooklyn game after Diallo got the start in, in the second night of a back-to-back game against Brooklyn on the road in which Kate Cunningham didn't play and didn't do uh, a lot to uh, enamor himself to Dwayne Casey. And I like I thought we were going to get a good game from Hamadou Diallo. I remember when I was talking to the like Jacob Niffin and the guys at the uncontested, the Oklahoma City thunder podcast on the blue wire podcast network they were always like oh yeah like when homie goes to new york he's he's like he's from new york he loves to show out for like his people and so like you always get the the best of homie when he plays like against the knicks or the nets and so i was like oh, okay cool on on the road specifically so 
I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, we're going to get, like, Hamadou Diallo's, like, absolute best against Brooklyn tonight. And that that did not happen. And so that was, uh, that was kind of rough. Um, Hamadou is a good guy to keep around. Um, currently, like, his ability to put pressure on the rib is something that is not found consistently elsewhere on the roster. His athleticism is something that's not really found elsewhere on the roster. And so I hope he works his way back into the rotation. Um, especially, uh, well, I hope Hamadou works his way back into the rotation, but I think it's notable to see that he played his way out of playing, even as Frank Jackson was like mired in like a huge shooting slump. Right. Like I, I, I think that like, that tells you a lot. And so we'll see. Um, the Pistons obviously invested, you know, relatively minimally in Hami this offseason. Um, but like, yeah, there's, he, he's just got to keep his head down and keep grinding. There's, there's going to be a role for him on this team in the future, but it, it's, uh, surprising. We'll say it's surprising that he's kind of already found his way out of, out of the rotation. Um, the Pistons, uh, bad at offense. We talked about it for like half an hour now. Pistons are not what you want them to be on offense. They are the last. They are last in the league in team three point percentage at twenty seven point seven percent as of this morning. Uh, that means the Pistons are shooting twenty seven point seven percent from three. That is not only is that last. The twenty ninth place team, the second to last place team, is shooting like a point and a half percentage points better than them. And, you know, I don't really have a remedy for that other than what we've talked about for the last couple weeks in this podcast. The Pistons are still doing a decent job of getting good shooters open looks, and they just aren't knocking them down, right? Talked about Frank Jackson mired in the shooting slump. He made a couple threes against Brooklyn, made a couple threes against Philly. You hope he's working his way out of that, right? Talked about Jeremy Grant's inconsistency. Um, part of that is, you know, not making a single shot against, uh, Brooklyn, you know, that's not going to continue, but, uh, you, you hope he's make more open shots in time. Uh, talked about Steak Bay's, um, lack of aggressiveness. Like you, you absolutely need Sadiq Bay to be shooting like eight or nine threes a game at, uh, a better than at, at the clip he averaged like last year from three. So it's just like, yeah, this, this, this is going to be tough. There's no, like, single solution to make guys make shots. But, like, it's it's got to happen, like, sooner or later, right? At, at some point, these guys are NBA players. At some point, they will hit open shots against uh, other NBA players. And you, you can see how good the offense looks when some of these three-point shots are going down, right? You saw, like, the, the first half against, like, Philadelphia, right? Like, as shots go in, like things like the offense, like hey, it's like oh hey, they, they can they can score points. The offense looks better. Um, you know, the, the shooting papers over like so much in today's NBA. So it's like uh, them being able to do that is just being able to hit shots occasionally is massive. But yeah, it was. I knew it was going to be a rough night when uh, it was like thirty nine thirty nine at halftime against Brooklyn. It's like that is. Uh, they have Kevin Durant. Like that's not that's not gonna get it done. I knew we weren't. I knew we probably weren't gonna gonna win that game. As as close as that game was, and as entertaining as that game was, I knew that even like despite the comeback, I never really felt like we were gonna win that game. Uh, yeah, but the Pistons Pistons got to make open shots eventually. Um, 
Oh, I was gonna. Oh, that's sad. I'm just gonna ask Ben what he thought about the uh, the new City Edition jerseys. I like the City Edition jerseys. Um, I like the red. The red's dope. I like the fact that there is teal in the jerseys, but I don't notice the teal when I'm watching on television. That's the best of both worlds. I don't have to think about that anymore. Um, and I like the court. I like the I like the way the jerseys look on the court. I don't know if they're gonna wear the city editions like on the road. I'll be interested to see like what they look like um, against a team with a color scheme that's not red or blue, right? Like if they wore like the city edition jerseys against like the Lakers or something, it's like would would the red look good against like the yellow background that the Lakers like run with a lot of the time? It uh, it depends. We'd have to see. Um, the other thing is like there are, there are a lot of teams in the NBA with red in their color scheme. You run the risk of like you play the city edition jerseys against like I don't know, the next game is against the Rockets. I don't think they're going to wear those jerseys, but like the Rockets or like the Hawks or the Bulls or something, right? Like it's like wait, which team is the home team again? And I always kind of I always kind of d- detest that um, when the the color schemes uh, get kind of mixed uh, between the teams. Uh. I promised I would give Saban Lee his due. Saban Lee, of course, uh, is assigned to the Motor City Crews currently in the first game of the G League season against the Canton Charge. Saban Lee had 42 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists, and 4 steals. Um, All I gotta say is Corey Joseph better be watching his back because Saban Lee is, is coming. I will, the the thing is okay so the G League is probably not like the best environment the G League is currently the best environment for Saban but it it's going to be really a playground for him and he's going to have success at the G League level because like a hu- the huge part of this is like rim protection in the G League is not very good because if you are a good rim protector an NBA team is going to snap you up, right? If you're 6'10 and can protect the rim, like, you are playing for an NBA team. You are not playing in the G League. And the other thing is perimeter defense is not as uh, enthusiastic in the G League as it is at the NBA level. And so if nobody's keeping Saban Lee out of the paint and nobody is, uh, like, protecting the paint when Saban Lee gets there, like, it should not be a surprise that Saban, like, has the level of success that he has. Like, I don't think he's going to... He probably probably won't score 40 every night, but it's, it's possible. It's on the table. I watched those highlights. He didn't... He was not doing anything unsustainable. He was just getting to the rim and finishing over nobody because there's no rim protection in the G League. Um, so, yes, yeah, so Saban Lee should play really well. He should dominate at that level. Um, unfortunately... Well, not unfortunately... Uh, the rim protection in the NBA is going to be better. The perimeter defense in the NBA is going to be better. So if I were Saban, like in in addition to like you know getting to the rim at will, I would be still be working on those off the dribble threes that are going to really determine like what level of uh, player he finds himself at the in in the NBA. Right? If he gets comfortable making those off the dribble threes with his athleticism and his ability to get into the paint, like he is going to be a problem um, at the NBA level, not at the G League level. 
And so, you know, it's it's like g- give the other guards in the G League a chance, Saban Lee, and practice your off the dribble threes. Don't just don't just score forty and get to the paint because you can. <laughs> that's such a weird lesson, or that's such a weird thing to say. Is like don't don't do this thing you're very clearly good at, but it's not gonna make him better at the NBA level. So he shouldn't prioritize it in a way that uh, you should prioritize like other things that will be more applicable at the NBA level. Um, I don't, is, I don't want to lecture Saban because he scored 42 and he had 8 rebounds and 8 assists. Like He's obviously succeeding. Um, but yeah, it's just like it's, he's going to ball. Also, uh, Motor City Cruise not paying me, not, you know, not uh, advertising me, like not sponsoring me in any way, shape, or form. But like, again, Saban Lee had like three really, he had like one nice breakaway dunk. He had one nice like half court situation dunk. He had a couple nice like finishes around the rim. Like I'm telling you, man, those, uh, those tickets at the, for the Motor City Cruise are not super expensive and that's going to be some really fun basketball. It's like, get, get those tickets while you can. All right. Uh, that's it. The schedule portion of the podcast is now the Pistons played Friday at Brooklyn and then have like five days off the next game. Their next game is Wednesday at Houston. So that's the, the Jalen green Cade Cunningham matchup game. Um, I'm sure if anything happens in that game, there will be a million memes on Twitter. Uh, Godspeed everybody. I hope uh, Cade Cunningham embarrasses Jalen green one more time for the memories and I hope the Pistons win that game. Um, the Rockets have Rockets are a good team. Or they're they're a young team. They're not a particularly good like NBA team, but like they have some really interesting pieces. Um, I looked up uh, I looked up Kevin Porter Jr.'s uh, three point percentage uh, today because I wanted to make I wanted to tweet out like a Kevin Porter Jr. or Killian Hayes like joke uh, on Twitter, but um, uh, chance got in the way. Life got in the way. Um, before I got it off, but Killian's shooting like 38% from three, and I think Kevin Porter Jr. is shooting 28% from three. So yeah, like um, you know, you know, uh, I don't think uh, I, don't, I think Kevin Porter Jr. is definitely like a better scorer, but like it it remains to be seen if Kevin Porter Jr. is like actually a useful NBA player. So let's uh, you know let's just keep that in mind. Um, Friday, the Pistons play at Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland playing some really good basketball, really interesting basketball. The like the tall dude slender man lineup of uh Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and Laurie Markin is just is fascinating basketball to watch. And it only really works because of Evan Mobley, which just like tells you like on offense and defense. Uh it really only works because Evan Mobley can cover as much space as he does, rebound as well as he does, all you know, protect the rim as well as he does. And on offense it really only works because he's as good a driver and passer as he is at seven feet tall, which like should not happen. Um, so yeah, Evan Mobley's really good. I'm not dissatisfied that we took Cade. I love Cade. Talked for you know ten minutes at the start of this podcast about Cade. Evan Mobley's really good, um, and so that will be a really interesting matchup uh, of two teams on Friday. And then the Pistons have a back to back against the Toronto Raptors on Saturday. Toronto. Also playing pretty good basketball. I believe Pascal Siakam is like, you know, soon to return for the Raptors who um, are already like above 500 in a way that people like didn't really expect them to be. Um, 
defending their butts off, uh, winning games even without their star rookie, Scotty Barnes. And so, uh, oh yeah, Cade Cunningham playing the second overall pick, the third overall, overall pick, and the fourth overall pick all in a row. That'll be fun. Um, but yeah, Scotty Barnes has been very entertaining to watch. He's just like, he, he's scoring, and it feels like if not, it doesn't feel, it feels purposeful. But it feels like Scott, you like you watch the game. And you're like, oh man, Scotty Barnes is pretty good. And then you look down, and he's got like 20 points. And you're like, wait, how did how did that happen? Um, and so like, yeah, he's he's just a very he's just a very fun player to watch. Um, that'll be a that'll be a tough matchup. Um, but as you know, as you guys know, the Pistons, Dwayne Casey always gets the Pistons a little bit more like fired up to play in Toronto. Remember. Um, Last year, well, you know, no games happened in Toronto last year, but you know, in Miami, uh, against the Raptors on the road last year, that was the like weird Dennis Smith Jr. triple double game. So, you know, uh, Dwayne Casey's first year, he had the Reggie Bullock uh, buzzer beater. Just like yeah, the Dwayne Dwayne likes beating the Raptors, and so I I have no doubt you will see Dwayne push every button possible to try and beat the Toronto Raptors in Toronto. Uh, on Saturday. So yeah, that is the podcast. I that was longer than I thought it was gonna be. I hope it wasn't like too uh, diatribe or like too uh, esoteric. Uh, thank you for listening. I truly appreciate it. Um, if you want more of these thoughts, or if you want to read some of these thoughts just in like word version instead of hearing me say them. You can do so on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Um, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. We will be back next week, and hopefully you won't have to just listen to me, and Ben Gulker will be back. Thanks for listening. See you guys later. <laughs>